Good morning, Bridge. How you doing, guys? I feel like I've been to church. I don't know about you. Uh, if you didn't feel the presence of the Lord this morning, then, then please come to the altar after the service and let's pray together. Because God is here and he wants to speak to you. Whatever it is going on in your life, he wants that intimacy with you. We want to help you get that. It's Martin Luther King weekend. Many people are having a day off tomorrow. Some of you are not. Some of us are not. Uncle Jim Gilligan doesn't let us have days off like that. We have to work hard on Mondays. But uh, 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 it is time for us to pause. It's important that we pause uh, now and then on special occasions like this, which I guess is why Congress set this day aside, because it's it's a historic pivot point. He represents a historic pivot point in the life of our nation, and we've got a long way to go. Uh, But some very important things happen during the time that that Martin Luther King was was working before he was tragically taken from us way too too young. And, of course, his his speech uh, at the Lincoln Memorial is the one that resonates across the ages. Uh, Just one little excerpt that has resonated in my heart ever since I heard it the first time. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character that's been my prayer for a very long time. I hope it's your prayer. I got a dream too, and that dream is simply this, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day the lamb who was slain before the foundation will take his seat at the throne and every tongue and every tribe and every nation, every ethnicity, the Greek says ethnos, will gather around that throne and together we'll sing worthy is the lamb. Do you know what my prayer has been for a very long time now? is that we won't wait till then to start getting together. That we won't wait till then to say our common denominator is Jesus. Sure, we have cultural differences and preferences and styles. Sure, we get get all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're followers of Jesus Christ. We are children of the Most High God. We are the sons and daughters of God. Would you join me in that prayer? Can I be blunt? Is it okay if I be blunt for just a minute? We're going to get in a message for a minute. I'm just sharing my heart with you right now. I don't believe the racial divide in our country will be healed until it's healed in the body of Christ. If we don't lead the way, we can't expect the nation or the government to lead the way. Can we pray that prayer? Would you join me in that prayer? Father, I do pray for healing in our nation. The racial divides, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, every culture of this nation, of this world is represented in our nation these days, right here in our own community. So often we still fall prey to the prejudices that, that yes, we were trained in growing up and, and we hold on to sometimes even when we don't mean to. They're there. We don't even realize they're there until we bump into them. And I pray for an end to that first in the body of Christ and then our nation. I pray that we would connect our hearts uh, around the person of Jesus Christ. Sure, we have cultural backgrounds and heritages that we ought to be proud of. And, and I'm not suggesting that we all kind of amalgam together. I'm suggesting that we find a way to celebrate our diversity and unite in the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this Martin Luther King weekend would be one of those times that each of us would challenge ourselves in a whole new way to ask ourselves what we're doing to heal the divide and to bring reconciliation in our great nation in the person of Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed together. Amen. Amen. That's my prayer. I hope it's your prayer.
I look forward to seeing that day. We've made great strides since Martin Luther King gave that speech, but we've got a long way to go, baby, long way to go. We're in a series that we're calling Confident, and one of those things that, uh, that we're trying to address is this idea of, yeah, we're living in incredibly insecure times. I mean, the very subject that we're talking about right now, there are all kinds of tensions in, in our nation uh, over these issues, and, and quite frankly, it's going to take some very confident people, confident in the right ways, people to heal that divide and to step across those lines and to take the risk of saying we're going to do something about being agents of reconciliation and, and healing. Insecure people won't do it. In in fact, it is insecure people quite often that's creating the divide and pushing the divide and, and using that as leverage. So today I want to continue that journey talking about this subject of being uh, the confident people that I believe God's called us to do uh, in a couple of ways. First of all, very quickly, I want to kind of show you where we've, been, where we've been going in the series. I want to lay it out for you biblically uh, that this road to confidence, I call it, uh, has th three very clear steps to it. I want to show you those steps. Uh, and we've already unpacked step number one and two in the series. Today we're going to unpack step three, but I want to show you the steps. And then we're going to get into uh, uh, to step three by pulling four principles out of the life of a biblical character that's probably one of the better known characters in Scripture. If you haven't heard of him, you'll learn more about him than you wanted to know by the time the service is over. And if you do know him, then perhaps a truth or two will step into your spirit. So let's unpack it, okay? The steps are clearly defined. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's just rehearse them right quick. Walk through maybe new information, but I think it's a rehearsal for many of you. Step number one to the road to confidence is I give my life to Jesus Christ. We talked about in the first message that there are reliable and unreliable sources of confidence. And we live in a world where people depend on the unreliable sources. And what are they? Any of you remember? It's how I look, it's what I have, it's how much I've accomplished. And so we kind of build on that, but those things can be taken away. And so we have to build our confidence on a reliable source, which is something that can't be taken away, and that's our, our relationship with Jesus Christ. So it begins by establishing that relationship. Romans 12, verse 1, let's read it together. One, two, three, go. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. That's the beginning. It's not just praying the sinner's prayer. It's establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Step two then is I begin to change my way of thinking. We accept God's forgiveness. We forgive ourselves. We've talked about this in the series. And then we start down the road of transformation. How? By changing the way we think. Romans 12, 2. Do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but be changed where? Within by a new way of thinking. Over time, having committed your life to Christ and established that he is Lord of your life, studying the word of God and, and more and more, learning more and more about who you are and, and whose you are, your mind begins to change. Your thinking begins to change. Your way of thinking begins to change. And, and before you know it, you wake up one day and you're a new person. You're a different person. You know what I found? I'll throw this in right quick, real, real cheap. Uh, real change happens so subtly sometimes that we don't even realize it's happening until we look around one day, six months later, a year later, and go, you mean I used to think that? You mean I used to struggle with that? You mean I used to fall into those traps? Somewhere along the way, my mind changed, and I'm a different person today than I was then. I believe in coming to the altar. I believe in praying. I believe in deliverance in the moment. But in my experience, most of the real change happens over time. Repentance is a fruit that ripens over time. And so step one is submit yourself. Step two then is to do the work 
of repatterning your thinking according to the word of God, which is why bridge groups are so important. If the only meal you're ever getting to change your way of thinking is what I do every 30, 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, then you are malnourished. Hello, are you out there? I mean, if you only ate once a, a week in the natural, would you be malnourished? Somebody say yes. Of course you would. Well, maybe it was Bojangles that might carry you for a week. But other than that, you know, we eat every day. And you've got to feed your soul every day. Step three, then, is I fulfill God's plan for my life. So I give my life to Christ, and then I get this repatterning of my thinking so that I'm being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And number three, I then fulfill God's plan for my life. Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 3. Then you will be able, then you will be able, what comes before the then? Give your life to Christ and change your way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to him. And, and that's the road. That's the road to confident living. Submit your life, repattern your thinking, and then begin to do what God puts you on the planet to do. And I need to say one more thing before we get into our story this morning, and that is that those three steps are not multiple choice. It's not pick and choose the ones you want to do. It's not a two out of three kind of thing. They all interrelate and they all work together. And for most of us, they are step one, two, one again, two, three, whoops, some more stuff i got to deal with, two, back to three, am I right? It's not a, it's not a rocket ship. It's this cyclical kind of, of learning and growing and changing and coming back to the altar again and repatterning our thinking again. You've got a whole new set of circumstances, got to rethink again. And, and as we do, we become the kind of person that God can use to do the things that he put us on the planet to do. Some people want to take step one, Come to the altar, get saved, say the sinner's prayer. But they want to skip step two. They want to keep thinking uh, what I call stinking thinking, the way they, the culture trained them to think. And they still operate under the culture's values. And they wonder why they never find the fulfilling life that Jesus promised. Well, it's because you can't skip step two. You've got to do the journey of repatterning your kind of thinking. Some people, you know, they, they want to skip uh, they want to take steps two and three without taking step one. I got this. Yeah, Jesus is, is the Savior of the world. I got it. Let me just do the studies. Let me just learn what I need to learn, and then I can accomplish great things. Well, uh, hear me. If you skip step one, then you're going to find out eventually that you won't have the power to do what it is that you're called to do because he's the only source. You're going to wind up more insecure instead of more confident. Is this making sense to you guys? And so, so I'm trying to just very quickly but very practically help you understand the journey to become everything God puts you to, on this planet to, to become and to become the confident people that, quite frankly, the world desperately needs us to become. If we're going to be change agents, then we've got to take all three steps. And yes, it will be one, two, one, two, three, two, three, one, two. It, it will be that, but we can't step any of the, skip any of the steps. So today, we're focusing on step three. If you missed steps one and two, go back and get the messages. They're online, bridgechurch.cc. All of those messages are there. Get through them, dig through them. This is huge in our Christian experience. Step three, here's what I want to say right up front, then we'll get into our little story today. Uh, it actually comes from Pastor Ryan Barbado, our our Goldsboro location lead pastor, he said it to me this week, and it just resonated in my spirit on so many levels. Here's what he said. You will never be more confident 
you will never be more confident than when you know you're in the will of God. Is that true? Some of you have been there, done that? Yeah. And so hear those words as we unpack the message today. You will never be a more confident person than in that moment, those moments when you know that you're doing what God put you on the planet to do, whatever that turns out to be. That said, what I've found uh, through the years is sometimes it's easier to see the principles of going on that journey to become who God made us to be and do what he put us here to do uh, if we can see it lived out in somebody else. Is that true? If you can actually witness it in somebody else, it helps you to see it. So that's what I want to do today. I want to look at the life of one of the most insecure men in all of Scripture who became the national hero. He became that change agent. He began, became that, that hero for his nation. His name is Gideon. Some of you are familiar with the name. Some of you know the story well. Let me just unpack four simple principles from his life, and I'll let you get on with your day, okay? First of all, let's background it a little bit. Gideon was an Israelite at a time when the nation had abandoned their love for God. They actually had set up false gods in idols and were worshiping idols. And the result was that God took his hand of protection off of them. I could just spend the rest of the day talking about that one thing. Our God is a gentleman. He's going to force himself on you. If you step out from under the umbrella of his protection, good luck. Uh, uh, We could spend all day talking about that one, but this is what they've done as a nation. And the result is the Midianites, neighboring marauders, uh, were hassling them all the time. Here's what they were doing. They would let the Israelites plant their crops, and then when it was harvest time, they would sweep in and steal the harvest. So Israel spent all the money, used all the seeds, did all the work. And then at the very last second, the harvest was stolen. They never got to have the harvest. And so the nation was, was at its poorest place. It was struggling. Uh, and the people began to call out to God for help. And who does God call to help? <laughs> uh, who said Ghostbusters? Did you say Ghostbusters? That's not who he. <laughs> who did he call to help? He called the most insecure guy in the nation. His name was Gideon. Let's unpack Four principles. In fact, that leads us to the first principle we learn on Gideon's road to confidence. And principle number one is this. God doesn't call the confident. He makes confident the called. Let me say it again. I want you to hear it. God doesn't call the confident. He makes confident the called. Say it with me. God doesn't call the confident. He makes confident the called. Follow along. We're in Judges chapter 6 and 7 this morning. You brought a Bible, you can flip there or a smartphone or an iPad or go to the Bridge NC app and follow along with me. The notes are there. Let's get into the Scriptures. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 from the NIV. Here we go. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and be, be, that belonged to Joash the Azurite. Uh, you pronounce it better than I will. Uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat and a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Get the scene. The nation for about seven years now has been marauded by these uh, Midianites. Everybody around Gideon is in hiding. Gideon's in hiding. He's down in the bottom of a place where you throw the grapes and stomp them out, a wine press to make wine, and he's hiding while he threshes wheat in hopes that he can salvage a little bit of the harvest before the Midianites come. And along comes this angel and looks down into the hole where he's hiding and says, hey, uh, mighty warrior, mighty man of valor, hey, I'm talking to you. And, uh, uh, and, and freaks Gideon out. So let me ask you a question. Was the angel lying? 
No, there's no way. Angels don't have messages of their own. They're messengers of God. The Bible's clear. God can't lie. So what's the deal? He clearly wasn't a mighty warrior. He's hiding in the bottom of a wine press, scared of his enemies. Then what's the deal with this? Here's what I need you to hear right up front. God does not see us based on who we are. He sees us based on who we can become. Hear that. God doesn't see us just based on who we are in the moment. We see ourselves in the moment. God sees the beginning and the end simultaneously. He sees us on who we can become. And when he begins to speak into our lives, he doesn't speak on the basis of who we are right now. He speaks on the basis of who he knows we can become. Here's the bottom line. God often has more confidence in you than you do in yourself. You need to start understanding and defining yourself based on what God says about you, not based on the, we talked about it earlier in the series, this negative self-talk that we speak into ourselves. I mean, this this is not a unique example. This happens all throughout Scripture. Jesus modeled it better than anybody I know. Uh, Clearest example I know is one time when he was alone with his disciples he asked them, so, so what are people saying these days about me? What are they, what, who do people say that I am? And they came up with all kinds of ideas. Then he looked at Peter, and he said, well, who do you think I am? And he said, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Got it? And Jesus comes back to him with Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Understand what's just happened here. Jesus didn't just affirm what Peter said. Jesus changed his name. And in the Bible, name always denotes character. It always denotes who you're becoming and and what you're going to do. And so there's a name change going on that means a character change is going on. Do you see the name change? Do you see it? you see it in there? He was Simon, son of Jonah, which in modern terms means Simon Johnson. That was the name, Simon Johnson, right? King James says Simon bar Jonah, same thing. Simon Johnson's his name. And he changed his name to Petros, Peter, which in the Greek means the rock. And so he changed his name from Simon Johnson to Rock Johnson. That's what he did. He just changed his name. (laughs) Well, you don't see that in there? I see that in there. Now, here's the question. Was he the rock at the time Jesus said the word? Was Jesus lying? No, he's not capable of lying. He was speaking to him in terms of who he could become, not in terms of who he was. I mean, within minutes, he had to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, he wasn't there yet, but Jesus knew who he could become. He was Simon. He became the rock. God doesn't call the confident. He makes confident the called. So the real question in our Gideon narrative is not, did God lie? Obviously not. The only real question is how did Gideon respond to the angel. So let's pick it up. Verse 15, 16, Judges 6. Uh, Pardon me, my Lord? Did he reply? How can I save Israel? I mean, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none 
alive. In other words, okay, sir, I realize the nation needs help and saving and all that, but I am the dumbest member of the poorest tribe of the most underdog nation on the planet. Who am I to bring this about? Everybody got it? Before we give Gideon too hard a time, can I give you a couple of reasons why we shouldn't give him a hard time? Just right quick and we'll move on. Uh, First of all, I'm not sure Gideon realized in the moment who he was talking to. If you look at the verse, you see Gideon's response. He, He said, pardon me, my Lord, in lowercase which means to say that he was just using a respectful term. He just said, well, excuse me, sir. I mean, that's just all he was saying. But then you look forward in the verse, and what does it say? The Lord answered him. What theologians tell us is that this occasion is what they call a theophany. There you learned a big fancy word today. A theophany is an Old Testament appearance of Christ. What do we know? Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a stable. No, 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 no. He took on the form of man in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus is God who's been since before the beginning of time. He was slain before the foundations of the world were laid, and Jesus showed up several times in the Old Testament in the form of an angel, and then he would reveal himself. So this is God himself really talking to Gideon in this moment. I'm not sure Gideon realized that because he used lowercase my Lord. The second reason we can't give Gideon too hard a time is because we've all been there done that, bought the t-shirt. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Every one of us, if you followed Christ for any length of time or at all, you've had moments when God said, here's what I want you to do, and you went, who, me? Picked the wrong gal. You picked the wrong guy. I've been there so many times over the years, I can't, I, can't, I can't even count it. In fact, I've got a sign. You've been in my office. I've got a sign that I had carved in wood years ago. I've got it in the highest place in my office that just simply says, dare to fail. And that's not because I'm so this courageous warrior guy. It's because I'm scared to death half the time. And I just have to remind myself every now and then that God doesn't call the confident. He makes confident the people that he calls. In fact, as I look back over my 40, none of your business years of ministry, um, I can see, I can see this, this Gideon moment in my life every time I hit one of those major milestones from the time I, feel, I, I just fell in my spirit that he was calling me to preach and I went to my pastor and said, how do you know if you're called to be a pastor? He talked for two and a half hours. I don't have a clue what he said. At the end of the, I have no idea what he said. But at the end of the conversation, he said, well, there's one way to find out. Preach for me Sunday. And I went, oh, I am the, I am the lowest member of the poorest family of the most outcast. I said, No took me a month to work up the nerve to do a devotional in a Wednesday night service because I was scared. I was scared to death. And then within a year, 19 years old, he asked me to go pastor a little church in Fair Bluff, North Carolina. Are you kidding me? And then within just a few years, Kim and I married, and he called us to the Philippines as missionaries. We'd never traveled abroad in our lives. And we were in our 20s, and we're going, we're going to the other side of the planet with two little kids, two- and four-year-old kids. Are you kidding me? We, we, ah. Then we came home to Hampton Roads, Virginia, and started a new church there, having visited Hampton Roads once or twice in our lives, but knowing that God was, God was directing our paths, and I'm scared to death all over again. I'm just, oh, you, God, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you called the wrong guy. And, and, and this is, you know, maybe some of you don't know this journey, and I won't unpack it in detail, but when Kim and I came to the bridge, 
well, three years ago, we came here just to worship. We came to be a part of this church family. And, and uh, when Pastor Farrell called me one day and, and said, uh, you need to sit down. And I said, why? He said, because uh, I'm done. And I said, what, done with lunch? What do you mean done? <laughs> he said, no, I feel like the Lord's releasing me. Uh, that my time at the bridge is coming to an end. And I talked him out of it for a while, but in time knew that, that he'd heard from the Lord and that it was God's plan. And then when you guys, the elders of our church, the board of our church began to talk to me about uh, taking this role and being your pastor, some of you know, if we've spent enough time together, you know, I was scared to death. I made every excuse there is. I could think of a dozen reasons I'm not the guy to take the leadership of this church. The number one being, I'm old. I don't know if you know this, I'm old. And Satan whispered in my ear, there's no way young families can relate to you. You're too old, you're done, you got nothing left to give. And then I got a word from the Lord from a guy who was talking about Caleb who at 80 was as passionate as he ever was and said, give me, just give me that mountain for my family and I'll join the army. I'll, I'll go into battle with you at 80. And and, and this fellow said to me, he said, Jim, you think you're going to be known in life for what you've done in the past, but it's not true. You're going to be known for what you haven't done yet. But you see, there's terror at every stage of this journey. Is anybody relating to this? I'm not trying to draw attention to me. I'm saying that what Gideon went through is pretty common stuff that we all have to to deal with. And then I was in Oklahoma City last week with the headquarters of our denomination and the bishops across the nation and sitting in the room in front of all these bishops, the head bishop says, will you lead the charge for church planning for our denomination? And I went, oh, I am the weakest member of the lowest tribe of the poorest people. I'm from North Carolina, guys. Come on. God doesn't call the confident. He makes confident the called. You, you ever been there? I guess more importantly, are you there now? There's something that you know God is calling you to do and you're making every excuse on the planet why you can't? You, God, you call the wrong guy? Hear me. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. He's looking at you through the lens of who you can become. Not who you are right now. The only question is, will you... Go down the road. Will you submit yourself to him? Will you repattern your thinking? Will you discover his plan for your life and begin to live it out? Maybe it's, maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's, it's healing racial divides like we've been talking about. Maybe, maybe it's, it's healing your marriage. Maybe it's getting your finances in order, doing your finances God's way. Maybe, uh, maybe it's breaking through addiction or helping other people break through addictions. Well, you know, Whatever it is, if God's calling you to it, then trust him to equip you. He's just waiting for a positive response. That's all he wants. But, Pastor, you don't, you don't know my shortcomings. You don't know my failures. I know I don't. But I know mine, and I know he's used me in ways that blows me away. I know Gideon's, and he used Gideon's in ways that are amazing. I, and I also know that our weaknesses have nothing to do with God's plan for our lives because he wants to, he loves to make up the difference between what we're capable of and what he's called us to. The only question is, will we respond? So maybe God's word to you this morning is, uh, is this verse. Gideon, thou 
mighty man of valor. Put your name in there. George, you mighty man. Sue, you mighty woman, mighty warrior. Strike down your enemies. I will be with you. Hear him speak those words into your spirit. I've got three more principles. I don't have time to spend that much time on the other three, but I wanted you to hear that. I want you to receive that. If God calls you, he will give you the confidence to do what he's called you to do, but you've got to step up to the plate. You've got to say yes. Our church needs people serving in every corner of this place, in kids' ministries, in, in, in music ministries, in, in bridge group leadership, across the house in order to accomplish what God's put in our hearts as a church to do. And I believe every gift and every talent and every ability and every financial resource that we need to accomplish what God's called us to do is sitting in this room right now. The only question is, will we respond? Will we step up? Will we do what God's called us to do? Am I saying there won't be any difficulties along the way? Am I saying that if you respond to God's call, that it'll be smooth sailing from then? Is anybody hearing that? No, because the second principle is just as true, and that is the challenges along the way do not mean you're on the wrong road. Challenges along the way do not mean you're on the wrong road. In fact, Gideon faced challenges at every level. Uh, on his road to becoming the national hero, his first challenge was his own, his own insecurities. The second challenge came from people that were closest to him. Judges chapter 6, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. He, just, he wasn't just afraid of the Midianites who were coming to steal the harvest. He was afraid of his own family. One of the obstacles you may well have to overcome in order to be who God made you to be is you may have to look at a family member and say, I'm, I'm sorry you don't get this, but this is what God's called me to do, and I'm going to commit to it. Understanding Gideon's case, one of the reasons the nation was in trouble is because they turned their backs on God and, and, and it put up false gods in the form of idols. And so Gideon's first task was to tear down those idols and he was so afraid his own family and his own friends would come after him for doing it that he got a couple of guys that were close to him and they went and did it at night. But he did it. Is opposition a part of following God's call in your life? Hello? Hello? Sure it is. Well, let me ask you this way. Did Jesus face opposition while he was on earth? Yeah, from the very people he came to save. Back-talked him and ultimately tortured him and killed him. Even one of his own betrayed him. It's a, it's a part of the journey, guys. Every great leader goes through the crucible of difficulty. It's part of the journey of recreating who we have to be in order to accomplish what it is that God put us, uh, on, our, uh, put, put us on this planet to do. So difficulty is a part of the journey. Diamonds are made when coals are under pressure. Pressure is a part of the journey. Every great man and woman of God had to deal with opposition first internally and then from those closest to them and, and, and then beyond. The only question then is whose voice are you listening to? Did, we, did I mention earlier in the series that we've got to get to that place? If we're going to be confident people, we've got to get to that place where we live for an audience of how many? One? 
His name is Jesus Christ. And as long as you're living for an audience of many, you not only will not accomplish what God put you here to do, you will continue to struggle with the confidence to be the person he called you to be. You've got to get to that place where it's, it's a reality of the journey. You're not going to let it stop you because you're living for an audience of one. By the time we get to chapter 7 in Judges, we see a third challenge. It's the one that perhaps Gideon's most famous for. Uh, and that is, it's, this time it's coming from the people that actually committed to come and help him. He had the internal struggle, and then he's had his own friends and family struggle, and now he's, he's, he's having a struggle with the people that came to help him. He put out the call, said, we're going to do something about these Midianites. 32,000 men showed up, and his first reaction is, hey, maybe we can do this after all. Maybe this will do it. And God said, send someone home. I need you to send some of these people home because otherwise you'll think you did it instead of knowing I did it, and I need you to know I did it. Why did God want them to know he did it? Why? You, you know, you know. Why? Because this whole thing was about them knowing God and serving God and loving God. He made us to be in relationship. The whole thing was about drawing us back to him. So if they thought they did it, they would have built confidence in themselves, which wouldn't have accomplished the whole purpose of the thing to begin with. So he wanted it to get down to where uh, they had to depend on him to succeed. That's how God works. So he told Gideon, get up and say, if anybody's scared, go home. 22 of the 32,000 went home. Gulp. And then God said, still too many. So I want you to take them down to the water, and I want you to watch how they drink. If they go face down into the water and lap like a dog, then I want you to send them home. But if they stay on alert and they cup the water in their hand and they're looking around while they drink, then those are the people you want to keep. And only 300 did that and 300. So Gideon's left from 32,000 to 300. Now, if this victory comes, it's got to be God that brings that victory. Which is another principle. There's no major point in the outline for this one, but there's another principle I want you to get from all of this that, that's huge, and it is that quite often we don't do what God's called us to do because we believe we have to have more than we have in order to succeed. True? And you may well have that struggle yourself. You may have people closest to you to have that struggle. The question is not do you have everything you need to succeed. The question is who you're putting your confidence in. Are you on the Romans 12, 1, 2, 3 journey, submitting yourself to Christ, changing your way of thinking, doing what he called you to do? When Kim and I went to Chesapeake to plant community church, one of my own denominational leaders said, Jim, I, I don't know about this going to Hampton Roads, Virginia. You know, land is really expensive there, and I don't know where you're going to get the money to buy land and build a building and all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of glibly answered him. It's one of those things that comes out, and you find, hear yourself saying it. It's a boy, okay, that's cool. Uh, I said, well, the money's going to come from the harvest. I don't know what that means. It just sounds good, right? But you know what happened? We planted that church, and 90% of the people that came to that first service, 165 people came to that first service, 90% of them identified themselves as unsaved and unchurched. And over those first few years, people came to Christ by the hundreds, by the thousands. And when it came time, we stayed mobile for 10 years. We met in eight different auditoriums for 10 years. We'd grow and move and grow and move and grow and move. For a while, they call us the sweepstakes church. If you find us, you get to come. <laughs> 
when it came time to finally buy land and build, it was the harvest that brought the money. It was people who found help and hope and were chomping at the bit to give it away that financed the ministry that God had called us to do. You, you do know that's what we're called to do, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be comfortable. Is that what it says? What does it say? So that we can, read it with me, come on, comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. By the time we left Chesapeake five years ago, thousands of people had come to Christ. We invested $10 million in that ministry, and every dime of it came from ordinary working folk who said, I found help and hope in Christ. I want to help other people find it too. No big checks, no rich people, just people that found help who wanted to give it away. So if you're struggling right now with something, uh, don't be surprised if Satan whispers in your ear, not only do you not have what it takes, it, it would take a lot more to do this than, than you ever have any hope of having. Uh, I need you to understand Satan's a liar and he's a loser. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But you've got to believe those things are true before they're true. You've got to step out by faith before they're true. Don't be surprised when the challenges come. They will. But God gives confidence to those who are called. And challenges do not mean you're on the wrong road. Principle number three is God will give you glimpses of his glory while you're on the journey. So you're on this journey, step one, two, three, and, and you're hitting hardships along the way, and you're going, man, this is harder than I thought. It's taking longer than I thought. Uh, you know, maybe this is, maybe I, uh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this, I've gone the wrong way. Uh, it wouldn't be this hard if it was God. Understand that even during those difficult times, God will give you a glimpse of his glory along the way. So let's go back to Gideon. Here we are. We're down to 300 people. Gideon's moving forward in spite of his fears. And God says to Gideon one night, uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 10, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. And so here's Gideon, puts on, you know, one of them glasses with a nose and mustache, and he sneaks. Maybe he did it differently. But anyway, he disguised himself. He snuck into the Midianites' camp and kind of hung out in a shadow somewhere, and he listened to what they were saying. And one of the conversations that he overheard them having is a Midianite was telling about a dream that he had, and then he heard his Midianite friend interpret the dream, and here's the interpretation, Judges 7, 14. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon. God has given the Midianites a whole camp, uh, uh, a whole camp into his Hands And so Gideon goes, wow, they even believe it before I believe it. Can I tell you how many times I've seen that? We find ourselves in those difficult straits and we're not sure what we're going to do. And, and just about the time we're about to despair and think, man, I don't know if we can do this or not. God will just give us a glimpse of his glory. He'll give us a glimpse that he's working on our behalf. One of the big challenges, maybe my favorite story on that subject uh, when we were pastoring and, and leading the church in Chesapeake, is uh, we bought land and, and uh, we were told by the city we could build a church on that property. 
So we made the commitment to pay the property off before we would do a pay-as-you-go, let's pay the property off, and then we'll start talking about buildings. And when it came time to build, we went with, with uh, plans to the city and said, oh, no, you can't build a church on that property. It's not zoned for that, which launched a three-year journey, a three-year battle with the city over zoning. Three years. I went to city council and said, hi, I'm Jim Wall, 4247 Redfern Lane, Chesapeake, Virginia. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Vice Mayor, Honorable council members and staff, please let us build our church. Month after month after month. Well, one day we're in one of those meetings and one of the civic league uh, leaders is, is making a speech about the development because we were part of a whole big development. That's mostly what they were against. And, and the civic leader said, you know, I don't have anything against the church. I know the church has gotten caught up in this whole zoning thing. I got nothing against them, but, and I kid you not, the moment she said but, lightning struck and thunder resounded simultaneously outside of City Hall, and the lights went off in City Hall. <laughs> We're sitting in darkness. I, I kid you not. We had about 300 of our members there that night. We're all kind of getting this going, okay, Lord. Uh, 30 seconds later, the generators kick in, the lights come back up, and the sound system comes back up, and the mayor leans into his mic, and he said, are you sure you want to continue? <laughs> I mean, the reverend with power is sitting right over there. <laughs> I became the reverend with power around Chesapeake City Hall in those days. TV stations picked up the story, started calling us the church with the patience of Job. God leveraged that whole thing for his glory and we saw a glimpse of his glory that put our church on the map in Hampton Roads. You see, God will give you a glimpse of his glory if you'll stay the course, if you'll keep going. By the time we left Chesapeake, the city was calling us with families they came across who were grieving or families they came across who were about to be evicted or families they came across whose homes were going to be condemned. And they're saying, can you help with these people? Public schools were calling us and saying, we've got a family. Can you minister to the family? God gave us favor in the city of Chesapeake. I'm sure if Pastor Farrell were here today, he could tell you stories about the bridge. This church didn't become the great place it is without an awful lot of challenges along the way and a lot of faithfulness along the way. And many of you have been there through all those challenges, and, and you've been faithful through all those times. But every now and then, in the midst of those challenges, God will show himself. He will show you his glory that he's at work if you will stay the course with him. Which leads me to the fourth principle, and we'll close. Confidence comes to those who don't give up. Confidence comes to those who don't give up. In Gideon's case, 300 troops surrounded the 135,000 Midianites. They had trumpets in one hand, and they had uh, torches inside clay pots in the other. And on Gideon's command, they broke all those clay pots. They surrounded the Midianites. They broke those clay pots simultaneously. So suddenly there's light all around the Midianite camp, uh, and, uh, and it scared the daylights of the Midianites. Look at verse 21 and 2. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Uh, in other words, they fought the battle against each other, themselves. Gideon didn't have to fight. God fought the battle for them that day, and the result was the nation of Israel was restored, and Gideon moved from this frightened little man hiding in a wine press to the national hero who saved the day, and here we are still talking about him thousands of years 
later. I'll say again and we'll close. You will never be so confident as you are when you know that you're doing what God has called you to do. More importantly, when you know you're becoming who God called you to become. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you walk us through these journeys. You don't just throw us in the deep end and say sink or swim. You walk us step by step, principle upon principle, to get us to that place, to the kind of people that you can use to do amazing things that are beyond us, things we never dreamed possible. From developing our own personal self-worth into I am a son, a daughter of God, and walking in that strength, to healing marriages that looks like it's all over and there's nothing can be done and there's a thousand reasons why this can't be fixed, but in fact it can in Christ. To addictions broken, to mountains of debt that overwhelm us, to physical needs, healings that the doctors say there's no hope, but they aren't the great physicians. Down the line, challenges are a part of life and you are the God who is bigger than them all. And you're calling us to do what we can about them. I pray in the stillness of this moment that we would become the confident people you called us to be so that you could use us to make a difference in this town, in this county, in this state, in this nation, in this world for you call the Gideons in the house. Call me. Our answer, sir, will be yes. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. The altars will be open. There will be somebody to pray with you before you leave here today. It's important that you take all the stuff that's happened today and all the stuff that God's been speaking into your spirit today, that you, you actually do something about it, you make a commitment about it. Whatever it is that the Lord's spoken to your spirit, don't leave here and say, yeah, that was interesting. No commitment time. So would you pray a simple prayer with me? God, help me to go on the road to confidence. I submit my life to you as a living sacrifice. I commit myself to the journey of retraining the way I think, changing the way I think so that I will be transformed into the kind of person that you can use. Then help me to see what you're calling me to do and who you're calling me to be. Give me the faith to say yes when you call no matter how impossible it looks. Lord, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their minds right now. You know the challenges that you're putting in front of them. Relationship challenges, marital challenges, parenting challenges, financial challenges, health challenges, broken relationship challenges, racial reconciliation challenges, growth and development of the church to make a difference challenges, 
all, all, they're all there. Call us, Lord. Our answer to you is yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord next Sunday. We'll continue this series on confidence. I hope you'll come be a part of that message. The altars are open. There are people that would love to, to pray with you this morning before you leave. Take advantage of that opportunity. If you're a first-time guest, please stop by VIP. Give them your Connect card. We've got to thank you for coming. Gift to live to put in your hands. God bless you guys. Father, take us from this place. Keep us safe. Bring us together again at the appointed time and between now and then. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.